Chapter Thirty of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Commissioned to Shine. If you have, up to this time, been even a careless reader of this volume, you have doubtless discovered that the centre of Chautauqua life was the Hall in the Grove. A beautiful grove, with trees old enough and grand enough to be worthy of their baptismal name, St. Paul's Grove. About the hall you have heard. White-pillared, simple, plain, yet suggestive of such a brilliant past and hinting of such a glorified future. I don't know how to describe it to you. The effect that this bit of green and white, with a glimmer of lake between, had on all the genuine Chautauquans. The simple truth is that their hearts were there. They loved every green leaf that gently waved a welcome to them as the passing breeze stirred its emotions. There were those among them who could not so much as pass one of the white columns of the hall without a caressing movement such as one would give to a treasure. The very chairs with which it was seated, common enough objects as they were, seemed each to have individuality, and in some subtle, inexpressible sense, to be a friend. What spell possessed them? I don't know. Pleasant memories? Yes. Glorious intentions? Yes. Yet these, to some, do not explain it. Well, don't you know there are things, legions of things, that you cannot explain to some people? You may lay bare your heart, though it quivers over the intrusion, and they will step on it and ask, Why is this? And, Of what use is that? And, What does the other mean? Until, unless you are a saint, you flee from them in dismay. Do you expect me to explain any further to you why the deluded Chautauquans loved their hall? On a certain August afternoon it was in gala attire. Every column was festooned with twining vines. The platform was aglow with flowers and mosses and bright berries. The treasures of the woods had emptied themselves into this favorite spot to add to its glory. The occasion was a special one. Something in the air would have told you that, almost before you caught a glimpse of the special adornings, and of the speed with which the hall was filling. Humph, said James Ward to himself, in a somewhat discontented tone, as he surveyed the crowded building, and then took his seat on the stump of a tree that had been left near the entrance for ornament. It did not improve the vines growing thereon, to call on the stump so often to assist in seating the audience, but people must have seats. James Ward continued his mental grumbling. If this lecture was prepared expressly for the members of the CLSC according to program, I should think the crowd might wait until they are seated, especially as it is not yet time for the lecture. There was not much comfort, however, in grumbling to oneself, so the occupant of the stump presently sought in his pockets for something with which to beguile the waiting, and drew therefrom a little book which had been given him the day before, the attraction of which was those fascinating letters, C.L.S.C. A letter written by William Cullen Bryant about the Chautauqua Literary and Scientific Circle. James Ward was not sufficiently posted in the literary world to have a very clear idea as to who William Cullen Bryant was. Still he knew that the name was an honored one, and that it was esteemed by members of the circle a rare tribute to have a letter bearing that signature. So the young man settled himself as comfortably as possible on the stump, and prepared to study it. My dear sir, 
I cannot be present at the meeting called to organize the Chautauqua Literary and Scientific Circle, but I am glad that such a movement is on foot, and wish it the fullest success. There is an attempt to make science, or a knowledge of the laws of the material universe, an ally of the school which denies a separate spiritual existence and a future life, in short, to borrow of science weapons to be used against Christianity. At this juncture appeared Robert Fenton, and, leaning over the reader's shoulder, demanded to know what interested him so deeply. "'I'm reading Bryant's letter,' said James. "'Have you seen it?' "'Bryant's letter? Who, the poet? Oh, that letter about the circle, I remember. No, I haven't seen it, but I want to.' And he leaned forward and joined in the reading. "'Ho!' he said after a minute's silence. I didn't think he was one of them. One of whom? Why, a Christian man. That sounds like it. And he read aloud. The friends of religion, therefore, confident that one truth never contradicts another, are doing wisely when they seek to accustom the people at large to think, and to weigh evidence as well as believe. By giving a portion of their time to a vigorous training of the intellect, and a study of the best books, men gain the power to deal satisfactorily with questions with which the mind might otherwise become bewildered i don't think that is true of all men declared robert do you i should suppose it would be well it isn't or else some men that i know haven't given a vigorous training to their intellects for they have about as unsatisfactory ways of dealing with puzzling questions as they could have look at young mr monteith he mixes a fellow up on all sorts of questions until he doesn't know what he believes, and feels a little like thinking that nobody believes anything anyhow. "'I should never pick him out as a man who had trained his intellect vigorously,' replied James Ward with a slightly curling lip. He did not admire Kent Monteith. He has studied painting and a few nice, delicate things, and knows a little about most anything.' but apply that sentence to his father and see the difference. Whatever Robert thought of this he kept to himself, merely saying, Hear this! It is true that there is no branch of human knowledge so important as that which teaches the duties we owe to God and to each other, and that there is no law of the universe, sublime and wonderful as it may be, so worthy of being fully known as the law of love, which makes him who obeys it a blessing to his species, and the universal observance of which would put an end to a large proportion of the evils which affect mankind. I say, Ward, Bryant must have been a Christian man, because, you see, an honest man who thought all that would have to live up to it, wouldn't he? Then he read on from the letter. Yet it is a knowledge of the results of science, and such of its processes as lie most open to the popular mind, important for the purpose of showing the different spheres occupied by science and religion, and preventing the inquirer from mistaking their divergence from each other for opposition. That is what Mr. Monteith says. He's always hinting that science contradicts the Bible." Perhaps he hasn't knowledge enough of science to distinguish between divergence and opposition, quoted young Ward significantly. Then he took up the story of the letter aloud. I perceive this important advantage in the proposed organization, namely, that those who engage in it will mutually encourage each other. 
it will give the members a common pursuit which always begets a feeling of brotherhood they will have a common topic of conversation and discussion and the consequences will be that many who if they stood alone might grow weary of the studies which are recommended to them will be induced to perseverance by the interest which they see others taking in them that is a decided compliment for our circle isn't it robert yes said robert and listen to this it is a prophecy it may happen in rare instances that a person of eminent mental endowments which might otherwise have remained uncultivated and unknown will be stimulated in this matter to diligence and put forth unexpected powers and passing rapidly beyond the rest become greatly distinguished and take a place among the luminaries of the age ward as sure as you live i believe that applies to paul adams i'm just as sure that he is going to be a luminary as i am that you are sitting on this stump young ward had no answer for the reason that he was springing from the stump and making ready to give place to a lady who was moving towards them none other than little amy herself am i so late she said breathless i hurried what isn't the lecture commenced and the seats all taken how nice of you to save this stump for me what are you reading we are just finishing an important letter explained robert this is the last sentence i shall be interested to watch during the little space of life which may yet remain to me the progress and good results of the plan which has drawn from me this letter i am sir very truly yours w c bryant to rev dr john h vincent robert read the signature with a flourish then said he didn't have very long to watch for the good results did he dead he lay among his books the peace of god was in his looks i have read bryant some remarked little amy in a dreamy tone aunt annie reads him ever so much oh we will be at home for his memorial day won't we i mean to recite thanatopsis in the circle don't you suppose we will have a special meeting on memorial day i used to recite thanatopsis when i was in school i thought it was doleful then and yet i liked it but i knew almost nothing about the author i think it is so nice to know things over that sentence james ward smiled thoughtfully he was still listening to the ring of robert's words about paul adams i'm just as sure that he will be a luminary as i am that you are sitting on that stump was that the division must he sit on the stump and let paul shine was not there room also for his shining he was not satisfied with merely sitting and looking on he would never be satisfied with it any more i am the light of the world he thought of the verse just then it had been quoted by professor holmes in the normal class that morning and he had immediately followed it with the words ye are the light of the world placing a peculiar and solemn emphasis on the pronoun it came to james ward at that moment like an inspiration the thought that he had been commissioned to shine the glorious light had shone down into his heart the life-giving voice had sent him the message ye are the light of the world yes he would shine from henceforth a reflected light that should help to light the nation's home hark said amy it has begun and the voices around the stump were hushed dr meredith was the speaker 
and the CLSC people knew enough of him to have been on the eager watch for this lecture, which had been prepared expressly for them. The stump proved no mean sitting after all, for the ringing voice of the speaker penetrated through the trees and reached them clear and strong. Those golden sentences poured out so rapidly were none of them lost. Leisure hours was the topic, and as the doctor proceeded to unfold to his listeners the wonderful things that could be accomplished, if moments usually wasted were carefully guarded, one person at least felt his cheeks glow with something very like shame. Perhaps it would have been difficult to find a younger man who had wasted more leisure hours than had James Ward. In fact, his hours might almost have been said to have been all leisure, for the reason that he had not chosen to keep them filled. Be sure, as he listened, he made some strong and stern resolves as to what should be done with time in the future. There were many points in that lecture which seemed specially suited to his needs. Amy turned toward him with a meaning smile, as the speaker told of having overheard a young man on those grounds say that he had an awful memory, and after expressing in very strong terms his opinion of the ignorance and folly evidenced by such an admission, added, I tell you, young man, you can secure just as good a memory as you choose to have. James Ward returned the smile, laughed outright indeed, but at the same time blushed. Not twenty-four hours before, he had said in somewhat dreary tone to this same Amy, "'You see, there is this against me. I have a very poor memory. For some things my memory is simply awful. Now Paul Adams is a real genius in that line. He has only to read a thing over once or twice that he really wants to remember, and the very language of it belongs to him.' No wonder he blushed, but he gave even more careful heed to what followed." In reality, it was a guidebook of instruction on the acquisition of memory, and more people than James Ward, listening, made resolutions to acquire. There, said Robert Fenton, listen, he is describing Ollie Chester for all the world. The boys are always telling how she goes on. Do you know her, Ward? She is one of those girls who know all the people living in the big houses, and who they married, and when they married, and how they dressed, and what relation they are to Mr. So-and-so of Boston, or that lovely Mrs. Somebody of New York, and all that sort of thing. She thinks she has a good memory because she can get off loads of trash of that kind. But she is a dead failure in history. It is just as he says, her mind is all lumbered up with that sort of thing." An impatient nudge from young Ward reminded Robert that Dr. Meredith, and not himself, was the speaker. But the tongues outside could not be kept still. Amy laughed outright over the description of the man who would sit of a winter evening by a glowing fire in dressing gown and slippers, and let his thoughts float off on a sea of reverie, propelled by the laws of association, and when interrogated as to what he was doing, would reply that he was thinking. "'That's exactly like Uncle Ned,' said Amy. "'He will sit by the hour staring into the grate, his eyes full of wisdom, and think. And I don't believe anyone has ever seen any results.' "'I've done a good deal of that sort of thinking myself,' said young Ward meaningly. "'At least I have never been able to discover any results.' Then did Amy's bright cheeks flame. "'What sort of thinking have you been doing?' said her conscience to her." 
don't you live in a house that is made of glass and wouldn't it be well not to sit here on this pretty stump and throw stones at your uncle ned from that moment amy gave earnest and undivided attention to dr meredith and learned how to think not only but on what topics to expend much thought when i carefully consider all the grounds gone over at chautauqua during that eventful summer i find that i return again to what was before my deliberate conclusion that nothing more helpful to the circle occurred during the six weeks than the lecture that they heard some of them under difficulties that summer afternoon who is dr meredith amy asked as the lecture over they moved away robert fenton was prompt with his answer the boy had a talent for discovering who all chautauqua celebrities were he is a boston pastor among other things and a bible class teacher fred stewart says he has a perfectly wonderful bible class they meet weekday afternoons there are as many as two thousand members so fred says but it doesn't seem possible it is awful large anyway and as interesting fred says as any of these lectures that we get here he's going to preach to-morrow evening not fred stewart you understand but dr meredith i shall go and hear him said amy with emphasis don't you think this lecture will be published it ought to be of course it will be in the chautauquan they will not let the finest thing we have had here slip away from us what about the chautauquan fenton have you subscribed for it father has oh of course we must have it a great many of the circle readings will be printed in it besides only think of having cook's lectures and professor brown's and dr meredith's and all the wonderful sermons and lectures that will be put in it everybody ought to take the chautauquan a library for a dollar a year the afternoon's work was over speaker and listeners went their ways it may be that the speaker felt depressed he may have fancied in the reaction that followed the excitement of effort that the effort was vain and the hour wasted such things have been it may be that not one of those who lined the avenues and sped their various ways said a word to him about the help they had received from him that afternoon not a word of the light he had thrown on hitherto bewildering subjects not a word of the mountains in their way that he had reduced to molehills not a word of the resolves taken and the great draughts of courage infused through his eloquence such things have happened i do not know that dr meredith will ever meet on this side any of those whose souls he uplifted that day but i cannot help hoping that he will and that they will tell him frankly all about it i can but feel that men even great men need sometimes to know even here something of what they have accomplished would it not be well for this one to know that on that summer afternoon he touched and widened circles that shall continue to widen through all time and then in eternity just begin to grow End of chapter thirty